Disclaimer. The opinions and views that are discussed in the Catholic Trojan podcast are solely those of the individuals and do not represent the views of the USC Crusoe Catholic Center as a whole. This podcast allows for a safe space for students to openly engage in fruitful discussions and to express themselves freely. If there are any questions or comments concerning what has been discussed in the podcast, leave a comment below or email Brittany Castillo. Thank you and fight on. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the first podcast episode for the Catholic Trojan podcast. Really excited to have you all here. So before we dive into our conversation with our guest, we are going to open up in prayer. Uh, the prayer featured in each podcast episode is chosen based on whose feast day it is, the day we are recording our episode. So for today, September 23rd, it is St. Padre Pio. So as we continue to see injustices in our world, today we are asking St. Padre Pio to intercede for us, the power to heal. With the heartache and pain felt by many, being able to feel healed and loved is so important right now. In the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Teach us, we pray, humility of heart, so that we may be counted among the little ones of the gospel to whom the Father promised to reveal the mysteries of his kingdom. Help us to pray without ceasing, certain that God knows what we need even before we ask him. Obtain for us the eyes of faith that will help us recognize in the poor and suffering the very face of Jesus. Sustain in us the hour of trouble and trial, and if we fall, let us experience the joy of the sacrament of forgiveness. Grant us your tender devotion to Mary, Mother of Jesus, and our Mother. Accompany us on our earthly pilgrimage toward the blessed homeland, where we too hope to arrive to contemplate forever the glory of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, so now's the time that you have all been waiting for. It's time to introduce our guests, Michael Ranga, Isabel Torres, and Carlos Santiago. Yay! So I am pleased to welcome all of you here, and feel free to give yourselves a pat on the back for coming, since this is our very first um, episode. <laughs> oh, thanks so much, Brittany. Thanks, Brittany. Thank you, Brittany. So before we get um, we got together to record this episode, I had sent out a little survey to you guys to fill out for get to know the eboard Insta stories. So I want to bring that up right now to begin our conversation. So we'll start off with a few formal introductions. So please give your name, your major, or program of study, any minors you may have, your hometown, and then also your position on the eboard. Great, sounds good. All right, so I'll, I'll jump in. My name is Michael Uranga. I'm so excited to be able to embark on this journey with you all. Um, I am a senior at USC studying accounting and minoring in environmental studies, and I hope to be able to combine those two passions together in my career one day. And the position that I get to serve on this year, I'm honored to serve as the president of the Student Executive Board. Um, I'll go next. Um, I'm Isabel. I am a senior studying journalism and NGOs and social change. I'm originally from San Diego, California, and the position I'll be serving on eBoard this year is vice president. Hi, everyone. My name is Carlos Santiago, 
and I'm majoring in political science with a minor in business finance. I'm also a progressive degree student and I'm getting my master's in public administration. So my position on the e-board is spiritual life chair and I primarily help plan retreats for the Catholic Center. Looking forward to this podcast. Thank you all so much for introducing yourselves. Um, like I said before, I'm super excited for this, especially since it's our, this is our first episode. So um, before we get into more theological um, questions, I want to just start off with some small discussion. And so um, starting off with Michael, on your, in, on your get to know the eboard Insta story, you mentioned that your favorite show right now is Haikyuu. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Like the plot of the show or like what are some of your favorite characters, moments, anything? I was so uh, excited when you told me that you were gonna be asking this question because I did not <laughs> expect to be able to explain. Uh, <laughs> Haikyuu is an anime uh, that's streaming online multiple sites like Netflix, actually. Um, and it's a sports anime, so it follows a volleyball, volleyball uh, team, specifically uh, this young boy who has always dreamed of being uh, a volleyball superstar, but he's too short, but his incredible jumping power and like awareness of the court is really cool. I never played volleyball really growing up, but I felt like the action and the pacing of like, the conflicts between uh, different players and then different teams is yeah. like, really amazing. And like, it culminates so well because you feel like you're growing with them. Um, so it was, it's been, a, it was a joy to like watch it. And I'm, I'm eagerly awaiting like the next season that should be coming out hopefully next year. Wait, so how many seasons are there? Is there just one season or are there multiple seasons already? I know it's on Netflix cause I looked it up, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so I think Netflix has like one or two seasons, but there's actually four. Um, it's kind of weird because at the beginning of the pandemic, they released half of season four and they said, we are working on the next half. And once everything got kind of got shut down, that second half like hasn't come out yet. So we're actually just waiting for the second half of season four to come out soon. No, yeah. I feel like with the pandemic, a lot of shows, animation or live action, they just got postponed. Like I know for The Walking Dead, they're barely uh, releasing the final episode in a month. So yeah. Full on. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, hopefully it'll be worth the wait. Okay. So next question for you is you put that if you could be any superhero, you would be Spider-Man. So why did you pick Spider-Man? I think that like really big affinity for Spider-Man kind of came about like not like when I was a little kid like I always enjoyed it um but once I got like really into like the MCU I was so excited <laughs> I was so excited when Spider-Man <laughs> expired <laughs> I was so excited when Spider-Man came into the movies. Um, it kind of just reignited my like memories of watching like the original Spider-Man movies. Mm -hmm. um, and I think one of the things that sealed the deal for me is when I was first getting to know you, Brittany, um, we were doing a freshman retreat and you came up to me and you showed me this beautifully Photoshopped picture of my face on Tom Holland's Spider-Man yeah. suit. <laughs> Uh, claiming that I looked like a Mexican Tom Holland, and I still cherish that that photo to this day. Um, no, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember it was also during retreat. Everyone, I forgot who exactly told me, but it, everyone just started saying like, oh yeah, Michael looks like a Mexican Tom Holland. And so once we saw it, like we couldn't unsee it. And then therefore the birth of the Photoshopped image came about. But yeah, uh, Spider-Man definitely on my like top list for like favorite MCU superheroes. Um, no judge. Which live action Spider-Man would you consider to be your favorite? Uh, I really love um, Spider-Man Homecoming. Just because I know that like everyone's a purist with like um, the original, but Spider-Man Homecoming, I felt like really just hit, hit the mark on like Peter Parker being kind of a nerd, um, but all, and then getting the, the fun of the action on there. Um, I, I just always love seeing like the web slinger in action. So yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a very good choice. <laughs> oh my gosh. That one is definitely my favorite as well. I yeah, love yeah. it. <laughs> it. It was made. I think it was a good way to like rebirth the entire um, franchise after Andrew Garfield. Yeah. So yeah, it's definitely worth a watch. And I feel, um, I don't know if you have watched Far From Home already, but I feel like a lot of people said they didn't like it, and then there's also people who like really loved it. I personally loved it, um, but yeah, me too. I loved it too. Me too. Yeah. So yeah, I think so good. Yeah, it was really good, and I think character development wise, they really did do a good job of like separating Spider-Man from like um, being dependent on like Iron Man. Mr. Stark, I don't feel so good. I know. <laughs> I'll, I'll oh cry. God. The memes that came with that. Yes. So true. Oh, I love them all. <laughs> and also, like, the the uh, other characters in the Spider-Man movies were great, you know? Like, mm-hmm. besides the supporting characters are awesome as well. Yeah. Um, this is, like, another Spider-Man-related question for anyone, if any of you have seen it. Um, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. That is definitely probably one oh, of my favorite yes. Spider-Man movies. So good. Mm-hmm. Like, I was, oh my gosh, I love that. Was such a great movie. Uh, yeah, I might have to change my answer to that, actually, because I had forgotten. But that one is so good. <laughs> oh, yeah, the animation, the plot, everything. And also the fact that they brought Miles Morales. I personally, I've read Miles Morales comics, and I really loved it just because, like, they're starting to bring in more diverse characters into the MCU and also into the comic universe as well. And so it was really awesome to see that. Yeah, no, definitely. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> okay, so the next question is for Isabel. And so... <laughs> Um, you put that if you could be any animal for a day, you would be a beluga. <laughs> and so what's your reasoning behind that? Why beluga? <laughs> you know, I honestly, so, okay, so beluga and whale is definitely my favorite animal ever, ever, ever. And I, I have, I've been like trying to think of like, why is this animal my favorite? Like, it's so random. You know, I feel like I, for a while, I think part of my life, my favorite animal was definitely a monkey. Like, I think for my 10th birthday, I had a, like just a monkey-themed birthday party, and everyone had, like, monkey caps and stuff. Like, it went all up. But um, in third grade, we had to do this – I think we had, like, an ocean kind of unit, and we had to do a project about a sea animal. And I don't know if I chose where I was assigned. It's kind of blurry at this point. But somehow I got to do a project about the blue whale, and we had to make, like, a 3D figure. And I remember that was kind of, like – 
my first all-nighter and by all-nighter I meant I like went to bed like at one or two you know but that was like crazy late for me as a child and so then I spent the, the whole night by whole night like straight up late with my dad um, making this beluga whale stuffed animal and to this day it's like one of my most prized possessions and it's funny because like I was the first time I realized that my dad could like sew and everything and it's Aww. a beautiful little white little beluga whale and I mean some of its body proportions are like not <laughs> accurate but um it's like really cute and I like still have it and after that project I guess I just had an in, like definitely an interest in this animal because they're crazy smart and crazy mm-hmm. cool and I actually I visit I'm from San Diego so I went to SeaWorld last fall for the first time since I was little, like for the first time in years. And of course we went to the beluga whale exhibit and I just was astounded by these animals. Um, and like took probably like 67 videos of the beluga whale swimming towards the window. And they're so beautiful and graceful and some of them have like a little smile. And I just feel like they're so quirky. And anyways, I would love to swim with them and be one of them for a day and just like chill out in the ocean. And they make great noises. I would have so much fun with that too. Agreed. Agreed. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> was, amazing. Yeah, I was gonna say, um, the first like I knew belugas existed, but like the first time I ever saw it like s- super represented, I guess, in like an animal film was Finding Dory. Um, oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, I forgot. I forgot what his name is. But the one thing I do remember is like the echolocation that they use. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, they're super intelligent animals, and so, and they're also super adorable, too, so. Yeah, no, totally. Oh, my gosh, I, I totally forgot about that. I, I, I must have, like, when I watched the film, been so excited that it was there. <laughs> yeah, because I feel like there's so many sea animals that you normally see in these ocean-themed yeah. movies, but the local whales are never included. And in, obviously, my personal biased opinion, they're the coolest ones. So I think dolphins take up too much screen time. Yeah. More <laughs> for sure. No, yeah. Um, okay, so the second question for you, Isabel, is which Taylor Swift era do you love the most? Oh my gosh. <laughs> <sighs> this is a tough question. Um, I, know. I know. It's hard because, so Folklore just came out this summer, as you know, um, and the whole album is so amazing. And I'm definitely more of a person who listens to singer, songwriter, acoustic type of music. Um, I would say more than like pop music. And so it definitely has that kind of more alternative acoustic vibe to it, which I absolutely love. And I definitely listen to the album and only that album for like probably two months straight. Um, and so I love folklore, but I think my favorite will always be Red. Yeah. Um, I mean, all of her faces are so good. <laughs> Red, like the songs in that album, I just think will, I will cherish for the rest of my life. Um, and I just, yeah, I love, I love her Red album so much. And then also Ed Sheeran is like one of my favorite singers ever. And she only sings one song with him and it's everything is changed on the Red album. Mm -hmm. Um, but even songs like, oh, okay. So my favorite song of hers ever is All Too Well. And that's also on the Red album. Um, and I just like Holy Ground, State of Grace. Like there's just so many classics that are kind of so fun. And I feel like I definitely, I love the kind of music where I can just like dance alone in my bedroom, you know, like with a hairdryer, a hairbrush, mm-hmm. and just like use my microphone and dance <laughs> and twirl. And I feel like the Red album songs are definitely allow me to do that. And so I've definitely spent many solo dance parties listening to that album. 
No, yeah. If I had to choose one, it'd definitely be Red or 1989. I think those mm-hmm. are, like, my top two. I yeah. enjoyed folk- Folklore. It was good. Um, but, yeah, Red or 1989 are, like, more my vibe. Oh, my gosh. No, great choices. I mean, all of them. Even some of our old stuff, like Sparks Fly or Fears, yeah. are also just such classics, you know? And I also feel in a lot of ways, like, her songs kind of grow up with you. So mm-hmm. it's been fun to, like, listen to those too like, like listen to it kind of chronologically like that too and I think she's also I think she's probably one of the, like the artists that I know or I listen to the most that has really tried to like experiment with different genres within music and so I really appreciate that even though some sometimes it's not the best I think <laughs> but like I definitely appreciate like all the work she puts into it you can definitely tell like she has dedication for like her music right. and so th- that that's definitely one of the reasons why I like listening to her yeah, no, definitely. And it's crazy that, like, every time she drops an album, she breaks her own records. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, oh, my gosh. Uh, we love Taylor Swift. We love Taylor Swift. <laughs> definitely Taylor Swift fans here. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now, Carlo, my first question to you is, how is the grad school transition? Yeah, um... You know, it's it's a lot different, I think, being online. Um, I definitely would have enjoyed kind of going to class physically, especially at Price and getting to meet um, classmates and new faces. But other than that, you know, I think grad school is a lot different in that I meet so many different people from so many different backgrounds. You know, a lot of my classmates are older. Some are also progressive degree students like me. You get a lot of international students. You know, I recently had a group project with someone from Korea and some are from China. So I think uh, definitely just getting exposed to different worldviews and backgrounds and kind of having this kind of cosmopolitan educational experience through public administration and price has been awesome. But with that being said, the workload's also a lot tougher. There's more readings. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's been good. Yeah, I was gonna ask like, how would you compare the workload from like what you got in undergrad to like grad school but yeah I'm guessing it would be probably more reading and like analyzing work yeah right but a lot more discussion and mm-hmm. uh, group projects so not as much kind of sitting through two-hour lectures and uh, dozing off <laughs> what would you say right now is like your favorite grad class um there's there's one I'm taking about organizations and just how they're structured how to deal with different types of people and how to be kind of an effective leader. So I think that's the one I'm enjoying the most right now. It's easy for you to apply that because you're a leader right now at the CC. So Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The overlap. Yep, so many different (laughs) applications, which is amazing. Yeah, that's really awesome. And then this one, I really want to know the story behind. But um, why did you say Vegemite is your favorite food? So um, if you don't know, Vegemite has kind of... I don't know, on and off been a trend on YouTube, Um, just Americans trying it and then Australians telling Americans that they're not eating it correctly, so on and so forth. So, you know, over the summer you get into this YouTube wormhole and one day I just happened to come across Vegemite again after like a year or two. I was like, you know what, I should finally give it a shot. So I went on Amazon, bought a little jar for like 10 bucks and watched Hugh Jackman's video on Jimmy Fallon on how to correctly (laughs) apply Vegemite. And when I correctly applied it, I just thought it was 
amazing. Like it was great. It just like takes toast to a whole nother level. And I totally get why Australians love it so much. So do you only eat it on toast or have you tried it on like several different foods? That's a good question. I've tried a little bit on hard boiled eggs and it's a pretty good substitute for salt. And I think it doesn't really have too much, too high of a salt content, which is good. And I think it's actually quite healthy for you because it's a pretty much yeast extract, I think. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. No, I haven't tried Vegemite. Um, I don't yeah, know if I'll definitely, else... I'll definitely um, have to bring a jar and have you all try it. Definitely, we'll look forward to that. Yeah. Um, I don't know if any of you know, but I was talking to um, Abby, and um, she was talking to me about like canned bread, and how that was like a really popular thing too. So I don't know if I any of you have tried SpongeBob. canned bread. Oh, what was that, Michael? I thought that was only on SpongeBob when uh, Squidward's at the store and he <laughs> canned bread. <laughs> No, yeah, apparently, it's a real thing. Apparently, it's a real thing. And so, I don't know. I haven't tried it before. Um, we, we, we talked about, like, trying it together as a group, like, within the communications group. But, um, yeah, apparently, it's a real thing, so. Like, it just comes in a can? Yeah, it comes like in a can, yeah. Corn? Yeah. And the why? Thing is, I don't know. She showed me a picture, and when you take the bread out of the can, it looks like beans that have probably been, like, mush together and so it's just really i don't know it but it's a little it's a little weird that sounds perfect for like an emergency earthquake kit yeah Mm -hmm. that's true it's very true yeah yeah canned foods um talking about the earthquake just like a small tangent but did all of you feel the earthquake that happened when was it i think friday or saturday i'm not sure I yes. did, yes. Oh, gee. I was sitting at the table with my roommate, Hannah. We were both, like, on opposite ends doing our homework, like, studious students. And all of a sudden, it just, like, everything started shaking. We were so confused. And then I was like, oh, my gosh, earthquake. And she's from Illinois, so she had never experienced, like, an actual earthquake <laughs> or been awake for one yet. And so we were both kind of just sat there like, whoa. Uh, but luckily, it wasn't too long. So, but, yeah, it was kind of a little scary, but then it was over. So we were like, oh, yeah. Fine. Yeah. I was, I was like, uh, doing like getting ready for bed because it happened pretty late. Um, so I was like washing my face and I heard my building, like I heard my building shake and like rumble before I actually felt it. Mm -hmm. And when I felt it, I had my phone right there on the counter, but I had my face wash in my hand. So instead of grabbing my phone and running to my table, I just had the face wash in my hand and I got under my table and I was like, I really should have grabbed my phone if something bad would have happened, but everything was fine. I was just shaken up a bit. No, yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's so funny. I, <laughs> I don't know why we didn't get underneath the table. Like, there was definitely time. We were literally sitting at the table. Um, and I think I just stood there, like, with my mouth open, like, huh? You know, and then afterwards reflecting on it, like, I had so many drills of this growing up, being like, you know, roll down cover or whatever. Like, I definitely failed. Yeah, but, totally. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I was um, watching a documentary for class and I had the volume way too loud. So my dad walked into my bedroom and was lecturing me and the house started shaking and my dad didn't realize like halfway through, I was like, dad, there's an earthquake. Why are you still lecturing me? Like, come on. (laughs) We're like in the midst of this like crisis right now and you're still lecturing. And he was like, oh shoot, really? So it was just quite funny. Just like he didn't realize what was going on until I told him. And I didn't have the instinct to go under the table either, which is weird. 
Mm-hmm. No, yeah, it took everyone in my family by surprise. I was working at my desk with my sister, and, like, the apartment building we're in is kind of old, so you can hear, like, if the neighbors upstairs are, like, walking and moving stuff around, like, it's already a really loud noise. But I remember we were doing our work, and then we just hear, like, this really loud rumble, and then, like, the ground starts shaking a little bit. But then after, like, a couple of seconds, it was just, like, this big boom. And so none of us went under the table or anything. I think we were all, like, in a state of shock. So, like, similar to everyone else, we kind of, we, we didn't react until after it was over. And so, yeah, but yeah. it was, it was a really big quake. Yeah, and it was pretty close, huh? It wasn't too far off, either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the epicenter was, like, really close. Um, but, yeah, so after a little quake talk, we'll transition to a new section of our podcast and so this is about any funny stories that happened to you at catholic school um maybe alter while altar saving it's just any funny religious stories you may have um so like for example when i was in first grade it was my first time attending catholic school and like my first time ever like really comprehending the parts of the mass and so when it came to first holy communion i saw all like the kids from like second grade and up line up to get the eucharist and so i thought it was like really cool to see all the older kids line up to get the piece of at the at the time i just thought of it as like a piece of bread so it was like i really want to get that bread and so I remember our first grade teacher had told us the day before, it's like, you guys aren't ready yet to, like, receive Holy Communion. But um, me being the rebel I was at that time, I remember I got up to the priest, and then I unfolded my arms from, like, the way they told us to, like, have them. And then he offered me the Eucharist, and I was like, this is my moment. So I ended up taking it, and that probably was the best moment of my life until I finally got First Holy Communion again in second grade. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so sweet. I think for me, similar as actually First Communion as well. I had gone up I, to get the Eucharist, and I don't remember if I also got the wine. Um, but I remember, like after I got the Eucharist, I kept it in my hands, and nobody told me that you couldn't pass the altar without consuming it first, and so I like had the Eucharist, and I was so excited. I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Like I'm growing up, and then I. <laughs> like I'm walking away and the priest literally has to run after me and like stop me and be like you have to consume it before you leave the altar and I was so embarrassed because like everyone's looking at me like the entire congregation to like stop you know like and it's just like me looking up at the priest is like a little eight-year-old being like oh my gosh I did this all wrong um and like I quickly just consumed it and, like went back to my seat and I just remember being so embarrassed that like the priest literally had to run after me from mm-hmm. while well, like I don't even know, like 50 kids are getting their first communion. But yeah. Wow. You'd think they would cover that in the in the classes. Yeah. <laughs> good point. Good point. <laughs> okay, I can go. Um, it's not one story, but I definitely remember as a kid having a mental note of each parish and how long their masses generally ran. So I would always try to convince my parents for us to go to mass at the parishes that had shorter mass. Just as a kid, um, I didn't like just sitting in church during Mass. I didn't realize, you know, the importance of Mass to our faith and stuff like that. So, yeah, that's just a story. Um, I remember there's this chapel in one of the local Catholic hospitals in Torrance. 
uh, little company of Mary. And because it's a chapel, there's no choir or cantor. Um, it's one priest. So it's generally shorter because of that. And even though um, they have masses at like 6 or 7 a.m., I would always try to convince my parents for us to go there um, for that reason. So kind of rebellious Where little Catholic. We only did for emergencies, like when we were busy on Saturday or Sunday and couldn't make mass at normal times. So really did it ever work. Nice. nice. I think uh, along the lines of fun stories, like I went to an all boys Catholic high school, um, which is already so crazy because everyone there is uh, just like, yeah, they have tons of high energy and it's like, it can get pretty chaotic. Um, but for every like feast day or like holy day of obligation, we would have um, mass in like our school's um, in our school's theater. Um, and I remember one day we, we, cause it was really cool for music. We had students from like our jazz band and, and stuff like that go and like play, you know, play as the choir and we would have sing people like, you know, students sing and everything like that. Um, and my senior year, we had a freshman come in, his name is Sean and he is such an amazing singer that we knew that he would be the best cantor. So we were all excited to listen to Sean because um, a, like, a lot of people like had heard him before and stuff like that. And this one particular mass, it was like halfway through the year, he sang, I, I don't even remember which song, but he sang a post-communion song that was like so beautiful and his voice was like so perfect that everyone in our auditorium every all like 300 guys were just like moved like very legitimately like it, he sang it very beautifully moved to the point where we like all stood up and started applauding which was so not like yeah. <laughs> reverence for after communion you know during the mass but i just remember that because like i was also like very moved because he sounded beautiful and um yeah that's kind of just one of the fun things that i remember kind of the energy of like my high school experience yeah those are really no yeah those are really good I mean Isabel and I shared the holy communion story but about Carlo I remember as a kid like I thought to myself as soon as we get to like the blessing um right before communion like that's when you know mass is over and as soon as I got in line to get the Eucharist I like had a mental note it's like only 10-15 more minutes left and then we're good um yeah, and then totally. Yeah, literally same. And you need to get the donuts <laughs> afterwards too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's like these little little things that kind of act as time markers for um, the Father mass. My time marker. I was like, once we get to the Our Father, it's like halfway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, no, same. <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh, after this, just communion and then announcements, and then I can go get a glazed donut. Mm-hmm. Yeah, before that, it was just, Mom, are we almost done? Mom, are we almost done? But then eventually, as you got older you took note of these kind of marks during the mass. Yeah. And then with Michael's story, I remember like for my high school, the song that always moved everyone was um, Oceans. Like that was, but um, it was basically like our entire high school's anthem. And so I do remember like the first time we performed it um, post-communion people started like standing up and like clapping within the church i remember some teachers got mad but um 
but the choir, we greatly appreciated the standing ovation. High school masses can be uh, pretty intense sometimes, but yeah, it's fun. Okay, so now we're going to delve into like the more deeper um, part of our podcast. And so I had some questions down here that we can answer and then just see where the discussion leads us. I wanted to ask, like, how hard or easy has it been to be, like, a college student who's Catholic in a pandemic? Like, what has your faith life looked like? Um, How has it changed? Has there been more growth than you thought would occur? Or has there been, like, points where you you found yourself, like, struggling? Anyone can feel free to answer. I think for me, um, it's certainly been interesting I, before going to Rome in the spring, I I think a huge part of my faith was definitely the community aspect and like being at the Catholic Center and having this awesome community to like grow in your, uh, to grow in your relationship with Christ with, you know, um, kind of just really became a fundamental part of my faith. And so when I went to Rome and I all of a sudden didn't have that community, I kind of had to figure out how to make my faith my own. Um, And then kind of coming back and like having this kind of new understanding of my individual faith um, without like a huge community um, and then coming back to my family where I like it was it was just so interesting because like you know growing up cradle Catholic you feel I just feel like a lot of my faith life was definitely kind of more of an obligation in a sense where like I knew I had to go to Sunday mass because that's what my mom told me to do what my dad told me to do and there was no questions about it versus like going into high school and going to college and realizing that my faith was something so much bigger and so like now having that new profound understanding of what my faith meant to me personally and then kind of going back with my family and then getting into this routine again of like going to mass on Sundays with my family um, and not really like going to daily masses like I would as an individual college student um was definitely interesting and I feel like in the beginning it was almost really easy to kind of backtrack to that thing of like oh so we're going to go to mass on Sunday um that's what we're going to do um like virtual mass of course um and and then like kind of losing that like more individual aspect of it but I actually my family started doing a 3 p.m divine mercy chaplet every day and um, mm-hmm. sometimes we'd call some of my aunts and uncles to join with us like over the phone and so that kind of became like a central part of my day. It's like at 3 p.m., everyone, you know, get your butt on the couch and we're going to pray <laughs> the Divine Mercy Chaplet. And it's actually like so beautiful. And it's been really amazing to, and it was like quarantine was such an awesome time just to kind of share aspects of my faith life that I hadn't really shared with my parents, you know, and kind of see like where, where faith life's kind of met and also like we're different. Um, and just like sharing that with my family, just because like my family is another huge part of my faith life. So it was kind of really cool to, come back to it um, and like re-explore those parts of my faith um, and so I think in like that sense it definitely helped make it help help make it stronger because I understand a new part of it if that makes any sense yeah it, it makes sense I think like during this time we're all trying to find at least for me I've tr- I tried to like find what worked best for me and like adjusting to like a new environment or like being being at home again with like my entire family and so that was definitely a challenge but I wanted to ask you since you brought it up um how how easy or hard was it trying to continue with your faith life abroad like like in Rome is there a big Catholic population or yeah so it's so interesting because 
you think that like Rome kind of being the heart of the Catholic faith, well, I mean, Vatican City, but like it's right Mm -hmm. there in Rome, um, like the Pope's there and I would visit the Pope every Sunday and it was so cool to like see him in person, you know, like definitely very emotional. (laughs) Um, and like, even just, and I remember looking it up and sending it to Father Richard actually, but like there was, I think over 108 churches within two miles of my, of the apartment where I lived of my homestay. And which is crazy because then I looked it up back at home and I think I had three churches within 15 miles of my house. Um, and so just the crazy difference. And I feel like you have so many opportunities to like be really in touch with your faith, but mm-hmm. it's almost kind of like a veil over the city of like, you think that it's super Catholic, but then like my homestay family was not Catholic. Um, a lot of the locals that I met were also not Catholic um a lot of people like the study center and stuff were not catholic and so there was like um i think two other people in my program or i can't remember exactly but it was a small number of the people in my program who who were catholic and the rest weren't you know so i kind of came expecting this like huge catholic community but i went to see yeah. the pope, all of them most of the people who were there were tourists like no local people in rome go to see the pope on wednesdays for the most <laughs> part you know and then even like walking in there's well, over 108 churches, but every time you walked in, there wasn't really other people praying. It was people with their cameras taking pictures of the incredible artwork and stuff because every church you walk into was absolutely jaw-dropping, like so incredibly beautiful. And some of them are really small, but just like so beautiful. Yeah. Um, and so it was kind of interesting. And I feel like a lot of, a lot of times, like a lot of times I ch- stepped into church was to see the art by like Caravaggio or if there was a Benini statue in that church or, you know, like another really famous piece of art. And then you get there and of course, like you sign up the cross and stuff, but it wasn't like to visit, like, it was just interesting, like how, like how the intention changes um, as a tourist, like in this city, you know, and mm-hmm. I feel like it is a very touristy city and so I, that definitely affects the faith and, um, yeah, so it, it definitely wasn't as strong as I was expecting. I definitely came in with this idea that it was going to be, like, very strong Catholic community. Um, and But it was fun going to, like, different churches every Sunday because I wanted to try a new one. And every church being, like, I being absolutely blown away by how beautiful it was. Um, and also going to go to church in Italian was really cool. Um, and just, like, knowing what to do. I love how universal our church is in that aspect because I didn't – I mean, I understood some Italian, but for a lot of it, like the homily and stuff was a lot of, a little bit harder for me to pick up yeah. on. And so, but it was cool, like knowing like what to do and when, you know, because it was the same kind of format as like going to church in Mexico or in the United States. Um, and so, yeah, but it was, de- it was definitely different. And so I definitely had to explore um, how, how to like take the initiative to like go to mass for myself, by, like not knowing anybody um, or like, I remember one time I stayed after mass to talk to a priest for a little bit and try my best to, like, fumble through Italian. Um, but, like, that was <laughs> such a special experience for me, too. So just trying to find, like, different avenues of, like, um, ways to um, keep my faith life strong by myself. Yeah, I like that. It's definitely I've, – I've never thought about, like, the challenges that might come with, like, trying to adjust to a new environment, especially if you're trying to continue to practice your Catholic faith. And doing that abroad, I think, is even scarier. But it's really, it's really awesome to hear, like, you were able to, like, accommodate and find some sort of community um, abroad as well. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. It was, and it was, it was a fine adventure trying to, <laughs> trying to mm-hmm. do it, too. Yeah, I was thinking, like, for me, it was pretty challenging over these last few months of 
um, like quarantine and everything, I was spending a lot of time at home from like March to August. Um, I think there were definitely like areas of growth in my faith and like my relationships with people um, in that. But there were also like a lot of challenges and like personal prayer. So I have always thrived being at USC, like having such ready access to like the church and then also access to the sacraments. Like having adoration every day last year was something that was always so important for me as well as daily mass. So when I was like missing out on those, I found it very hard to like make a holy space in my home. And that like, when I, when I felt like I couldn't do that, like I didn't have like a strong a prayer life as I would have hoped. Um, and so for me, it, it kind of just speaks to like my fundamental need to be like close to a church where I feel like I can um, see Jesus in the tabernacle or an adoration. Um, I think that brings a lot of like hope to my prayer. Um, and so that's been like one of the big blessings of being back um, on campus that even though like the Catholic center is like modified its schedule, yeah. like well, having two times a week adoration and daily mass, like um, it's made me appreciate it a lot more. Like I will never um, miss a time like this year because like it means that much. Yeah. Yeah. I feel a lot. I've been hearing that a lot where it's, those little things like for me i really do miss adoration and i haven't been able to do it in person yet but um i definitely look back and i the couple of times that i did go i definitely took it for granted um but yeah even just being able to like receive communion um it it's it's those little things that you kind of overlook just because of the repetition and how accustomed you are to it that the moment it's kind of taken away that's when, like, you kind of realize, like, wow, like, I really do miss this, or, like, this was such an integral part of, like, my routine, and so, yeah, I definitely, I definitely understand, and then Carlo. Yeah, um, so, yeah, I think my story kind of shares a bit in common with both uh, Michael and Issa. Um, Yeah, for me, community was definitely a huge part of my faith, um, last year, living with Michael, Nick Borquez, and Nick Solari was definitely instrumental in helping me grow in my faith and having great young men um, as kind of mentors and inspirations for me. And then going back home for months and um, kind of not having that again um, kind of showed to me, you know, wow, like I really miss this. But then that forced me also to kind of develop my personal relationship with the Lord and um, like Michael was talking about, like creating a holy space, I, um, my holy space now is a uh, candle with Jesus on it from Walmart <laughs> and um, a little foldable kind of wooden thing. I don't know how to explain it. They're connected by hinges, but on one side is Jesus and one side is Mother Mary. And then next to that is a statue of uh, Mary and also a prayer card of Pope St. John Paul II. So that's like my little corner that I've created and I love praying to that. Um, and then also on my wall, I added a painting of St. Paul preaching in Athens, which is very amazing to look at. Um, 
but yeah, with that being said too, um, just not having frequent access to mass and, you know, having to attend mass digitally was definitely a little bit challenging and different. Um, mm -hmm. I remember going to mass in person for the first time and I don't know, that was just a one of a kind feeling. And it, you know, I almost teared up cause it was just like, I really miss this feeling. I didn't realize how much I miss attending mass physically and, um, seeing our Lord in person. So yeah, it's definitely been a, a, an adjustment process. You know, there's still struggles, um, kind of being a little bit isolated physically from everyone, but yeah. definitely checking in digitally over zoom with friends has helped a lot. Oh yeah. I was, I forgot to ask Michael, but I was going to ask, um, like, what has been your holy space now? Like, have you been able to, like, figure that out? What does it consist of? Yeah, no, I think for me, I'm still, like, kind of figuring that out. But, Carlo, like, I really want to see that that painting of St. Paul. That sounds like really, really inspiring, too, to be able to see, like, um, you know, the like him evangelizing in such, like, a radical way. Um and then, like, yeah, for a holy space, like, I'm trying to, like, go outside more because, like, with Zoom classes and everything, like, it's so easy for me to just stay in my apartment, like, literally, like, over half the day. That is, like, so tiring. So I'm trying to, like, do, like, walk outside, pray, um, and, so, and so stuff like that. And then, yeah, get to the Catholic Center when I can. Yeah, definitely new ways to to find create that holy space and it's interesting because when you say holy space i tend to think indoors but michael like you saying like it's outdoors to, um for you that's like really awesome to to like yeah, hear yeah yeah and then for carlo um my question was um how did you come up with like the idea for your holy space um you know i'm like to shout out Zach Fiedler, a uh, new focus missionary for giving me the idea to kind of create a holy space in the corner of my room. So yes, I'd like to thank him for that. Also forgot to mention, similar to what Issa said, my family also started meeting weekly to have rosary um, every Saturday at 8 p.m. So my grandma in the Philippines always leads it every weekend. And that's been awesome to see my extended family and to partake in the rosary together. Definitely family has also been, I think, an integral part of, like, growing in our faith. Like, for me, we also, similar to Carlo, we started praying the rosary um, together at night. But since I have younger sisters, I put, like, the Spotify recording for the rosary that day because it only takes, like, 15 minutes. So I know they won't fall asleep or complain that it's too long. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's definitely been nice to like grow in my faith alongside with like my siblings and my parents as well. And I think like my mom has definitely acted as a role model and a guide for um, identifying different areas where I think I also need to grow. But yeah, well, this will conclude our first podcast episode. Thank you again for joining and for answering our questions. <laughs> um, I'm really excited. Hopefully this will come out soon. And um, for all our listeners, stay tuned for another podcast episode, which will be featuring the second group for our eBoard series. 
So that will include Cami Hayes, Liam Costa, and Hannah Mulrow. And so, Isabel, Michael, Carlo, again, thank you so much. It was really awesome to, like, get to talk to you guys and just get to know each other more. Oh, thank you so much for having us, Brittany. This was so much fun. Yeah, it was awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Brittany. Great job hosting. Thank you. (laughs) Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to our first episode. We greatly appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed it, and I'm glad that you are tuning in for some wholesome content during this very unique semester. Like I mentioned in the episode, our next group of podcasters will be Cami Hayes, Liam Costa, and Hannah Mulrow. So stay tuned and make sure to share this with your friends and family. Signing off for now, this is your host, Brittany Castillo.